I dreamed of traveling the long road, singing my songs to that distant stranger. Yes, I know it's sad for you, but it's something I got to do. And I will be coming home, back to the mountains, back to being free from all there is to be. Coming home to live and the life I once knew. Hello, everyone. And welcome to Bedtime Bible Boys with Brock, Trey, and Theron TJ. Thanks Thanks for for listening. We love you, Mom. And you too, Gail. It was last night in Matthew chapter 6 that we finished with the Lord's Prayer. And I started to kind of get into verses 14 and 15 in chapter 6, but I decided to stop. Because these verses are challenging. I find them challenging. They're challenging because Jesus is speaking in black and white terms. Do you know what black and white terms mean? There's really only one answer. That's right. There's no gray area. There's right or wrong. There's you did or you didn't, right? It's kind of like math, right? When you read a book and somebody says, what was that book about? There's many answers that could be true. It's gray. But when you do math, two plus two is four. And there's no other answer that it is. It's just four. It's black and white. Does that make sense? I believe Jesus is speaking in black and white terms in these verses. I think it's important to understand a few things. I want to start with this. Brock, if I asked you, was today first three or last three? How would you respond? I don't know what you mean by that. You don't know what I mean by that. Mom, if I would have asked you five years ago, do you know if yesterday was first three or last three? She, she doesn't know. Trey, if I ask you, is tomorrow first three or last three? What's the answer to my question? If you ask today? If I ask you right now. Yeah, what what is tomorrow? First three or last three? Well, it's neither. Okay, because let's, now... Let's, pre- let's pretend oh, this was during the summer. During the summer. Then it would have been first three. Thursdays are first three. Yes. Okay. Thursdays are first three. Trey, what are first three? Floor, pommel, horse, and rings. Floor, pommel, horse, and rings. Okay. So what I'm asking when I say, is tomorrow first three or last three, I'm asking a gymnast at their practice today, what events are you going to be practicing on this day? What I'm illustrating here is this. Two things matter. One of them Who am I speaking to? That's really important to understand what I mean when I talk about what I'm talking about. It's really important to know who am I talking to? Because if I'm talking to Brock and I tell him, well, just take a guess at what I mean. You might come up with something like, well, my first three classes in school or my last three or the first three plays out of my playbook in football. If I'm asking mom, she might come up with a different answer, right? 
So who I'm talking to really matters. Also, when I'm talking to them. Because if I talk to mom now and I ask her, hey, on Thursdays, is it first three or last three? Now she knows what I'm talking about. But five years ago, we didn't know that term. That wasn't a term we understood, right? So not only does who we're talking to matter, but when we are talking to them matters. You know what they kind of call that? They call that context, right? Context is very important when we want to read what somebody said and understand what they meant when they said it. It's important who they were talking to and it's important when they said it. Otherwise, nobody really knows what I'm talking about when I say is tomorrow first three or last three, except for one individual person. Does that make sense? Yes. With that in mind, we're going to use two episodes here because we don't like these to go very much over 15 minutes. We just like to keep them kind of brief, but we're going to use a couple episodes here. We're going to record over a couple nights and we're going to talk about the history of the Jewish people and their Bible over time and how they would have understood it and how it would have changed. Okay. So prior to the exile to Babylon, right? You're familiar with what the exile to Babylon is, right? Yes, yes. Harper, what this is, is like there was Daniel in the lion's den. That was after the exile to Babylon. Everything before that, Noah's Ark, Egypt, all those times in the Bible, that's before Babylon. Does that make sense? It was Babylon when the stories of Daniel happened, okay? Previous to Babylon, do you know what the biblical authority was? It was what they called the, the Torah. The Torah was the first five books of the Bible, right? Along with the law that was inscribed by God's hand, right? The first five books were spoken to Moses. Go ahead. Genesis, Exodus, um, I don't know if they're in order. Deuteronomy, Leviticus, and Numbers. That's right. That's right. Those are the five. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That's the Torah. Do you know how it was shared amongst the people? They called it oral tradition. What that means is they made up sayings and songs. They would they would sing like scripture or put a, a, a poetry to it. So it would help them remember what it said. Does that make sense? So instead of having a Bible you went and opened when you wanted to remember what the Torah said, you, you had to say these songs right? Or know these, just what the scripture was. It wasn't the same way it is now, where when we want to study scripture, we open up one of the 19 Bibles in this house, right? Does that make sense? So the Torah was transferred via oral tradition. Some examples that we have of this, that we know that there wasn't Bibles all over the place. Do you remember when in 2 Kings chapter 22, when Hilkiah, he finds the Torah while they're repairing the temple. Do you remember that? Yes, and yes. they read it to everybody for the whole day. That's right. Do you remember who the good king was? Josiah? That's correct. Yeah, Josiah. It was during the time of Josiah. They're repairing the temple, and Hilkiah finds the Torah, and they start reading it. They hadn't gone in there to look for it in a long time. Do you understand? They weren't studying scripture. It wasn't common for people just to know scripture. They had actually forgot what the law had said. So 
Hilkiah finds it and, or has it read to the people, and they start like tearing their clothes and being quite upset with themselves. They would have been upset with themselves because they, they obviously weren't keeping the law, right? Good job, Rob. So we have evidence of this. So that's pre-Babylonian times. So that would be like from Adam and Eve until about 600 BC. Okay, that's the time frame we're talking about. Yes, Harper. What's BC? Before Christ. Right? So 600 years before Christ until whenever Adam and Eve were, like that was the time frame we're talking about. And really before Moses, there wasn't even the Torah. Okay, then in, in, in around 600 BC, right, they get taken into captivity, into Babylon, right? Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Daniel, all these people get taken off because the Babylonians come and they take over the Israelite kingdom, right? Okay, they go off. This is around 600 BC, and they no longer have their temple scripts. Their temple scripts go into archives of the Babylonians. They don't even have the Torah anymore right? They're living their life with no Bible. There's no Bible. There's no Torah. There's no Bible. How are you ever going to learn anything about your God? How are you, what are you going to do? Jewish culture changed forever when the Babylonians came in because they destroyed Solomon's temple. Remember how many laws were written about like you had to do these things at the temple and that the high priest had to give the sacrifices on certain elements at the temple and those temple items had to be built according to the laws in Leviticus and that the God himself, his spirit, only existed in one place and it was in the temple and what was it called? Remember? That's alright. The synagogue? No, this in, inside the temple was a place called the most holy place. There was, right, uh, um, a, a robe or a wall right that separated the high priest in the holy place from god's presence in the most holy place does that make sense okay all that changed when babylon came and took over okay so church at the temple that's where it was prescribed to be held church went from a thing that you did at the temple to houses of assembly within the babylon kingdom Right? And inside these houses of assembly, you had people who knew some of the Torah. And they sat around talking about the Torah. So understand something here. They have a period of 70 years when they're in captivity in Babylon, where their main way of knowing their God is assembling in houses throughout Babylon. And experts, we'll call them experts, okay? talking about what the Torah says. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes. That was that was church for them. That was how they got to know their God, right? So the oral tradition preserved the Torah, and that oral tradition included Deuteronomy. Okay, so they had 70 years to sit around and talk amongst themselves in smaller groups, not in a, um, a, a big gathering, but in small gatherings, to talk about things like Deuteronomy, right? And they had seven years to determine how they got into their circumstance, right? They're now basically slaves. And what they could do 
to get out. They had seven years to think about what did I do to make this happen and to think about what can I do to fix this problem. And you don't have to go very far, okay? In Deuteronomy's chapters 27, 28 through 30, okay, they give uh, very clearly the curses and blessings that will go along, cursing, curses with disobedience and blessings with obedience, okay? And like, for example, in chapter 27, it'll say things like, cursed is the man who kills his neighbor secretly, okay? He's going to have curses, right? And then in chapter 28, they talk about the blessings, right? If you do things and follow your God, then you will receive blessings. Okay, in verse or in chapter 28, verse 64, we're talking about the curses. This is the kind of stuff that they would have remembered that they would be sharing orally in these little house meetings while they're not having fun being captives in Babylon. It says, Then the Lord will scatter you among all nations from one end of the earth to the other. There you will worship other gods, gods of wood and stone, that neither you nor your fathers have known. Among those nations you will find no repose no resting place for the sole of your foot. There the Lord will give you an anxious mind, eyes weary with longing, and a despairing heart. You will live in constant suspense, filled with dread both night and day, never sure of your life. In the morning you will say, if only it were evening, and in the evening, if only it were morning, because of the terror that the Lord will fill your hearts and the sights that your eyes will see. So there you go. They knew, hey, God said he would do this to us. These are going to be the curses for disobedience. So they had 70 years to think, this is why we're in that situation. He told us in Deuteronomy, this is why we're in this situation. And in chapter 30, he says, when all these blessings and curses I have set before you come upon you, and you take them to heart wherever the Lord your God disperses you among the nations. Okay, they were dispersed right now among the nations. And when you and your children return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and with all your soul, according to everything I command you today, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where he scattered you. So to me, this is very simple to understand. These people are in a foreign land. They All they know is the oral tradition of the Torah. They don't have it with them. But some people have memorized parts and they know these curses. This must be why we're here. And then they read chapter 30 and they're like, hey, if we want to reverse our course, here's what we have to do. We have to obey what God said, us and our children. If we'll turn our heart to him and if we'll follow, obey all of his commands, then he'll take us out of this situation, right? This is the start. This is the first start in around year 600 BC of Pharisaical Judaism, right? This is their genesis. It's, a, it's, not, it's not Pharisaical Judaism yet, but it's Pharisaical thought. It's this thought of what can I do to make sure that I only receive the blessings that are described in the Torah and not the curses? Because right now I'm experiencing the curses. We following? Yes, yes. Okay, I know this is a lot. It's interesting to talk about. Okay, as we as we spoke of, we have to remember, God was not available to them. So the people who understood, they remembered this the best, were kind of the authority. 
because God was not available, right? There was no high priest to intercede and there was no most holy place. The temple was torn down. Then we go on like that. In 539, the Persians conquer the Babylonians, right? And in 537, Cyrus allows the waves of exiles to return. And when they return under the instruction of Nehemiah and Ezra, what do they start doing? Do you remember? Rebuilding the city. That's right. And primarily the wall. The wall and yeah, the, the wall and eventually the temple. Yes. Right? That's that's what they do. And in Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 1 and 12, this, this gives us a good example of um, how much their culture had changed in those 70 years. Okay? In Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 1 through 12. Ezra reads, and not only does he read, but he interprets the law of Moses. The law was written in Hebrew. Throughout Judy, uh, Jewish history, Hebrew history, they spoke the language of Hebrew. And over that period of time when they were in captivity, the language of the Jewish people changed to Aramaic. Okay, we think we know rough times and change and like culture shocks because of some stuff that's going on right now. These people had to have special people who could even translate what the Torah said because people didn't really even speak that language anymore. Right? This is pretty intense stuff. Their whole language had changed. So, so they, they had to change their Torah's language too. They had to translate it. That's right. An expert like Ezra, right, had to actually, you know, had to actually translate the Hebrew Bible into Aramaic. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to ask, um, Aren't those um, like gathering places almost similar to what we used to do at our house in Midland at nighttime sometimes? How sometimes people from the church will come gather at our house and they would sing worship songs and stuff like that? That's right. That's right. And what was good about that, right? We would talk and we would share our experiences. But there was somebody we trusted with some biblical knowledge and authority where we could go into the word and we could say, if something didn't seem biblical, we could test it. We had the tools to test it. Mm -hmm. We just didn't have to believe it because the person with the best memory said it. Does that make sense? So their their culture, everything about the, the Jews in their time in Babylonia had changed so much that even there were very few people that could actually translate the scriptures when they brought them out of the archives and and back to Jerusalem. Okay, so Cyrus allows the people, the Hebrews, to go and and rebuild their temple, but he doesn't allow them to reestablish their monarchy. Okay, monarchy is like a king. The government. Yeah, yeah. The the government in, in the form of a king, a monarch, right? So he said, you can't have a king, but you can go rebuild your temple so if you have no king basically that puts puts the priests in complete control right the priests are in control of the people because who else are the people going to turn to right they don't know their god they still are the only way they know the bible is when somebody translates it and reads it to them because they don't have their own right definitely they don't have it memorized at this point okay so the, the Jewish priests at that time had absolute authority. So do you know what that gave birth to? That gave birth to the Sadducees. Okay? These were people who were of the Levitical priesthood. So according to the Torah, 
they did have some authority to actually be priests, right? And they they took that authority and and kind of abused it. Kind of twisted it. Yeah, it was more like a political party at this point. Because we think to ourselves like, no, that wouldn't happen. Of course it would happen. Look at the religious leadership that was in place during Jesus's time. The whole the whole Sanhedrin, all those people, they were corrupt. What well, was corrupt during this time too? And there was very little control of truth, of religious truth, okay? So the Sadducees are birthed, right? They kind of have unchecked power because the people's lack of access to the Torah and the only tradition they have in place to share the Torah is oral tradition, is saying it or singing it. Does this make sense? Okay. So you kind of have these two sides. You have Pharisaical houses of assembly where people are still meeting because they don't all live in Jerusalem yet, right? And for some people, it's a long travel to get to the temple. So you have these deep thinkers that are in houses of assembly. They're very zealous. And they kind of believe that this second temple is illegitimate. It's not built according to the rules of Leviticus, right? And then you have the Sadducees and the Sanhedrin. These are the priests and they're the aristocrats of their time. They have money probably because of all the offerings that were being demanded at the temple, right? Are they, aristocrats people who have money? That's right. And they have political power. Okay, so these are your two groups. Does that make sense? Almost like political parties of their time. In a, in a time where people want some direction, you're coming out of captivity, okay? There's, and even within those groups, there's like multiple houses that are meeting in multiple schools of thought. And actually what we would say like sects, S-E-C-T-S, sects of Judaism being practiced throughout the land. We talked about this. Most Jews could not attend the temple, okay? So you had these local houses of assembly and they're each reciting and interpreting the Torah and they're, they're, they're reading the Bible. Actually, it's real similar to us. They're reading the Bible or, or they're rehearsing or reciting the Torah and talking about it and they're doing so through a lens that makes sense to their little local area, right? Does that make sense? Or what's going on in their little their their little world, okay? These leaders that were in the houses of assembly, these kind of pharisaical leaders, okay? This gave birth to the term rabbi, right? It meant teacher, right? Teacher of the law, rabbi. That is why Jesus, at first, before he was recognized as the son of God, was known as a? Rabbi. rabbi. As a rabbi. When I think of rabbi, I think teacher. Right. Rabbi. That's right. So Jesus wasn't acknowledged as a priest, right? He definitely wasn't part of the Sanhedrin. He wasn't a Sadducee. He wasn't even a Levite. That's okay. He was um, he was known as a rabbi, right? And this was the start of the term rabbi, which really is just what you called. You weren't a priest, but you were just a teacher that the people in little local areas and assemblies trusted, mostly teaching Pharisaical principles, right? Because you were just out of this captivity period and like, hey, we do not want to go back to that. We need to make sure we don't violate these laws. Does that make sense? That's 70 years to think about it. Okay. It became common belief during this time that the, these rabbi, because the people didn't, they couldn't go get knowledge. Knowledge wasn't just available. So it kind of became common belief that these rabbi had a God-given interpretation of the Torah. God blessed them with a way to interpret the Torah that was infallible. So instead of the words in the Bible being looked at as infallible, you looked at this person and you thought the way they interpret 
what they remember about scripture is infallible and the way that they think what they think it means and how they they think to apply it is what becomes infallible does that make sense all right that's what's going on during these about 200 years this type of thing goes on for right Mm -hmm. then in 332 bc alexander the great greek right conquers persia and because of the way he conquered them the political powers of the um the the priests and the sanhedrin the sadducees it was it was challenged right the uh it, it challenged them which strengthened the pharisees even more right okay then there was a rise of egyptian uh, hellenistic rule that uh, ruling or rulership i guess took place from 323 to 198 bc so this is like another 130 years and then there was the syrian rule from 198 bc to 167 bc at the end of that rule that's when antiochus the fourth this is just a, a, a king or leader in in history right he invaded the temple again in judea and he tried to basically strip the people of the customs they had been practicing and like almost uh, tell them you can't do these things and so that caused a revolt which turned into the maccabean wars and that's a part of history it's not in the bible we don't we, that much of it really there's just a little sliver but we don't talk about that much but there was the maccabean wars and it was actually a bunch of revolts of the people in judea fighting against the syrians okay during this time that's when the miracle of hanukkah happened right which hanukkah got instituted into the jewish religion we'll talk about how that got instituted because there's nothing in the bible that says practice Hanukkah in our Bible that says practice Hanukkah right Right. so at some point something had to change okay so the miracle of Hanukkah happened and they fought off and in 165 they restored the temple again from what uh sorry not the Maccabeans from what the Syrians had destroyed okay wasn't that during those um silent 400 years that um Pastor Jason talked about on the Christmas thing on the Christmas service? Yeah, I think you're right. That was I during think, the Silent 400. No. I think it was the 400 years before Jesus was born. Yeah. And I think he explained all every every nation or whatever learning Greek. And then so that um, Jesus' teachings wouldn't have to be translated multiple times to different people. Yeah, that's right. Because like that. eventually that did happen, right? There were all these different languages and... Uh, part of Greek becoming the language was also Hebrew being put in the rear view. The Hebrews starting to teach Aramaic, and then eventually Greek really replaced Aramaic, right? Just like you're saying. In 152, okay, this is just like deep history, right? I'm just going to say it. Uh, I'm just painting a picture here. In 152 BC, Maccabeus, we'll, we'll say that's a, that's a family, that's a guy, but it's it's a family, the Maccabeus family, and the the Hasmo, Hasmoneans, uh, they're the war heroes of their time. They're the ones who caused the revolts against the Syrians and fought them off, right, and and revolted against them. They're war heroes, so they form a monarchy of priests. They give these priests unchecked political and religious authority. Unchecked. Unchecked, right? Like it wasn't from the Lord. God didn't say do this god didn't ordain anybody like he did david right when david became king this wasn't a a a samuel thing where the high priest or the prophet 
of the time was noted or the judges were given power. No, these were just some people who were war heroes determining all of a sudden that they had political and religious authority. Okay, right? This lacked complete legitimacy because it was not in the lineage of King David. You can't be the king and leader because you're not even in the lineage of what the Torah says. I guess this wouldn't be the Torah, but what older scripts say should be uh, king. Okay, so from 142 to 62 BC, Simon Maccabeus is named high priest and leader. Okay, there's a bunch of these arguments uh, that that are continuously breaking out between the different uh, people uh, over religious things, political things. And civil war eventually breaks out between the Sadducee and the Pharisees, and there's a temple riot, and most of the Pharisees are killed. Okay, so times were so crazy that the Pharisees and the Sadducees actually went to war against one another, war, fought against one another in a temple riot, and a lot of the Pharisees were killed. Okay, this is a sad thing, right? These are, they're all Jews. They may believe some different things about Christians, but the, about are sorry about the Lord, but. It's pretty sad times. These are hard times. Okay, now we get to the end of this. In 62 BC, while these civil wars are occurring, Roman general Pompey, in 62 BC, he sees that they're fighting and in civil war, and he seizes the opportunity to take his armies and go in there and take over Jerusalem. So Rome takes over Jerusalem in 63 BC. They establish eventually Herod, King Herod, who's basically a Roman puppet. He does whatever the Romans say. He doesn't... He doesn't lead his way. That's right. He, they put him in power because they knew he would do what they said to do, right? So Herod becomes this illegitimate leader, right? And he's given rule. And he didn't like the Pharisees. So you know what he does with them? Oh, he kills them. Kills off most of them. Okay? He kills off most of the Pharisees. And he awarded the high priest position to a man named Bothus, who is a Sadducee. At this point, the Sadducees hadn't, they almost had lost all their power because of how corrupt they were. But when Bothus is given high priesthood by a, an illegitimate leader, Herod, the Sadducees all of a sudden become a significant player again. And you've now got this role again of Pharisees and Sadducees. And this happens in 4 BC. So in 4 BC, we're talking four years before Christ. Does that make sense? Okay, so now. We're, we're getting very close to the time of Christ, and there are these increasingly complex theological differences between what the Sadducees are saying, what the Pharisees are saying, a complete lack of knowledge about what the Bible actually says, because the people still don't have the Bible, right? And to add some complexity to that, there's a, a, a gross um, abuse of power of a biblical principle called takanot going on. It's another thing that's important. It's like if you haven't heard of a takanot, then you don't have a full understanding of what the people who would have heard, getting back to finally our, our, our subject, you don't have a full understanding of what the people would have heard at the Sermon on the Mount, right? Because they would have heard a lot of scripture and they would have heard more talking notes than they actually would have heard scripture, scripture. Does that make sense? During, during this entire period, the one we just went from like the Babylonians taking over to Jesus, a 600 year period, there's all these laws and ideas being incorporated into, uh, like in, into like so-called legitimate scripture. The process of adding 
laws into scripture was it was called a, a takanote. A takanote is a law added to the Torah laws or sometimes even revising the Torah laws to account for changes in times, circumstances, and customs. Okay, here's a good example. A very present day example. Most Jews these days do not sacrifice animals periodically anymore, right? You don't see Jewish people going around and killing animals anymore as a sacrifice for their sins or atonement for their sins. Why? Because a takanot was added at one point to change the custom based on modern society, no longer really accepting animal sacrifices like a good thing. So somebody at some point said, in modern day, this, this doesn't really apply. So a religious leader at, or a scribe at some point said, we're just going to add in a note that actually changes the custom that was written in the Torah to better suit how we live today. Now, if you ask me, that doesn't seem right at all. Right. That somebody can just go add a law or take a law out because of their interpretation or because it really doesn't fit into their lifestyle. So what I kind of see this as is this is like an executive order, right? Yeah, I was going to say that sounds familiar. That's right. It's like an executive order. It's bypassing all the laws that exist so that way somebody who's in power can institute what they feel like instituting at that time. And some of these people may have had good intentions, like they want to do the right thing. But I'm very confident, just knowing human nature and that nobody's perfect, that there was a lot of people who just wanted to control people. Or, I mean, a lot of the talking notes had to do with things like um, sending out people, IRS agents almost, to go retrieve the tithe. Because they noticed, they did the math, and they're like, hey, not everybody's bringing in the tithe. And so they added a talk note that said, it is now legal for us to send a person to go around to your houses and collect the tithe, right? That wasn't part of the original law. They were just supposed to do it out of obedience. If you didn't practice obedience, you were supposed to get the cursings in Deuteronomy. How come you needed to add to that? If Deuteronomy is true, I'm just going to get the curses if I don't do what it says, right? They're basically saying that they don't believe that Deuteronomy tells the truth. That's right. Right? They're basically saying we need to modify Deuteronomy because it's not good enough, which is what Pharisees wanted to do. And Pharisees did it. Right? Taka notes, they, they differed during the Second Temple era. I'll call it the Second Temple era. That's 600 to BC and basically to zero between the different sects. They were all adding different Taka notes. So the Jewish Bible is a crazy thing. They didn't actually create the Talmud, which is the Jewish Bible kind of like we know it today. They didn't actually do that until 300 years after Christ. Think about that. They went their whole history and up to 300 years of having all these different scripts, all these different notes, these taka notes, all these different interpretations until finally they sat down 300 years after Christ was around to actually sit down and create, okay, this is going to be the Hebrew Bible and we're going to call it the Talmud. Okay? How about that? Whew. All right. So... Now think about this. Imagine the confusion of the people. Now put yourself in the position of somebody who's at the Sermon on the Mount. All these generations I just talked about is what's on their mind, okay? And, okay, so just imagine the confusion of the people. There's been 600 years. They've been ruled by at least six different countries. They've had at least two civil wars with no religious authority or supporting scriptures available to the common man. There was no Christians, 
there was no Gospels, and there was no believers in Christ. Okay? This is who Jesus was directly talking to. He was not directly talking to you. Or me. Or anybody who's listening to this. That's not who he was talking to. He was talking to the people who went through the history of what I had just described in the time they were going through it. And context is important. We can't see this, what he's saying, through the eyes of somebody who has the Bible, who goes and checks scripture, who does the three songs when they go to church every day and then sits down for a 30-minute sermon and then goes home and maybe reads a little bit. That's not what was going on. These people were really confused. They had the Pharisees telling them one thing. They had the Sadducees telling them another, right? And all of those different, and both those different sects had a whole bunch of different laws that they were talking about on top of that. And then on the scene comes Jesus. And he starts preaching about something that's totally different. And he starts with the Beatitudes on the Sermon on the Mount. And that is where we're going to pick up tomorrow. This is going to be an extremely long episode. But that's where we're going to pick this up again tomorrow. And we're going to think to ourselves, of all the places Jesus could have started, why did he start in the Beatitude? The people were being taught what blessings meant, right? They were being taught how to live a life that guaranteed you were going to be blessed and not cursed by the Pharisees, right? Right. And the first thing Jesus does is starts attacking that whole idea. So just think about that. And we're going to finish this off tomorrow. I appreciate you guys listening so intently. I know that was long. I love you, kids. I love you, too. You guys are good kids. <laughs>